0: Life with Philip Clark. on ABC Radio. By
1: 1868, around 162,000 convicts had been transported to Australia from Britain and Ireland. Many, of course, were women and plenty did not come here alone. They were accompanied by children or, in some instances, gave birth on the voyage or gave birth shortly after arrival. And so the term convict orphans came into currency in colonial Australia. Now, as these women were prisoners, their young children, who often were still very much infants, went to orphanages under state care. Over time, a great many were used as essentially free labour in the growing colony, a bit like adult convicts. To a large extent, their stories, though, have remained unknown, even to their descendants. Well, Professor Lucy Frost is an Emeritus Professor of English at the University of Tasmania, And uh, Lucy spent much of her career researching and writing about 19th century women and children. And she's dug into the available records to fill in as many blanks as she could in the history of these convict orphans. Her new book's called Convict Orphans, the Heartbreaking Stories of the Colony's Forgotten Children and Those Who Succeeded Against All Odds. She joins us uh, this evening. Good evening and welcome to Nightlife.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Great to have you with us too. Gee, talk about being far from home. These these children, I mean, if you came here as an adult, you must have thought, well, that's it. I've been blasted to the other end of the universe and I'm never being able to go back home. For children, it must have been even worse.
0: I'm sure that it was. Uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a, a 10-year-old, for instance, um, who sailed on the convict ships with your mother and you knew... Um, what you were leaving behind, it's not as though you were an infant, Uh, you knew your father was uh, left behind, and you might never see him again. you might have brothers and sisters who are still there and and all of your friends, the whole world that you knew and the way the world was put together, um, you know what you ate, uh, where you went, how you lived, how you entered a room, everything uh, was turned upside down mm-hmm. when you went first of all into the prison ships where you slept uh, with all the other women below decks, and then on arrival. Separated from your mother at the harbour and carted off to the orphan schools.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, what, so women were not allowed to keep their children. Were they? What about in terms of feeding them and so on? I mean, because some of these children, if they're born on board, we're, were still were still breastfeeding. I imagine.
0: That's right. So, children who were not weaned went with their mothers to the Cascades Female Factory on arrival. This is in Hobart, you're talking th- about? This is in Hobart, this is in Hobart. Mm. yes. This is the big um, women's prison mm-hmm. uh, called a female factory, as they were also in New South Wales. Um, and there was a, a nursery there where women. Uh, Breastfed their children until the children were six months old, right. and and then they were forcibly weaned. The mothers were sent to go out to work, um, and the children survived or did not survive in the convict nurseries um, with other women who were there with their tiny infants supposed Mm. to look after them. But, you know, it was pretty hit and miss. And as you can imagine, with lots of children uh, crowded together in a small space, um, there were many uh, illnesses like diarrhea that went from one child to another. So the mortality rate in the um, nurseries was very high. So if you survived to be three years old, uh, then you went off to the orphan schools. How many children are we talking
1: about here? Is there is there even an accurate number to document?
0: There is, actually. Uh, we know that between 1828, when the uh, male and female schools opened, and 1879, uh, when they closed, more than 6,000 children uh, went through this uh, institution.
1: Okay. Um, I mean what sort of – there were children, of course, on board ship as well, apart from the infants who were born on ship and born soon after. There were also small children in some instances on the ships themselves, weren't there?
0: Yes, there were. So the children who were on the ships – and there were more than 2,000 children who sailed with their mothers Mm. – were sometimes – quite tiny, uh, but sometimes they could be well into their teens. Uh, and getting onto the ship seems to have been quite a haphazard um, matter. Uh, when I was working on uh, children, on women who were transported from Scotland on a particular ship, the Atwick, which sailed in 1838, and I discovered on that ship that one woman brought six children with her where, all the way from Aberdeen, whereas Uh, the women from London, by and large, could not bring any of their children with them. So we know if they had children uh, before they went onto the ships. Um, And I think that in this case, the Scots were trying to get rid of these... um, uh, children, you know, hmm. extra mouths for the uh, community to feed, and that if they got all the way down um, to uh, the Thames, that they let them on board. Um, now, during the famine in Ireland, the Irish were quite keen to get rid of as many children as possible. So the... Um, Number of children who sailed with their mothers on the ships that came directly from Ireland was um, was quite large. Um, on the Black for instance, there were two hundred and sixty one women and fifty nine children. Imagine that! Imagine that!
1: Dear, oh dear, dear, oh dear! What a miserable, miserable life! Yeah.
0: The, the, the so
1: were well, the the children who came here. Were they? Well, just by I should say, by by way of passing that. The convict experiences, in, at least in Tasmania and, and indeed in New South Wales, was pretty much that followed a pattern of convicts arriving and far from being kept in prison, as, as you say, they were pretty rapidly sent out as, well, essentially slave labour until they'd worked out parts of their sentence before they were given tickets of leave and could, you know, get jobs as free agents. But essentially they were, they were sent out as an attached to free settlers, weren't they? As as, as, free, yes. la- as free labour.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. And so almost all of the women uh, were sent into the homes of um, settlers as as domestic servants. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is why they didn't want the children uh, yeah. around. They, um, Lieutenant Governor Arthur wanted a, a, a holding pen for the convict children so that the mothers, as he said, could be disposed of immediately or set to hard labor. Mm. So what happened so, – yeah
1: okay so that what so the children up there at the cascades female factory um wh- what happens to them and do they go to school at all i mean
0: okay so the children at at the cascades female factory are the little t- little children mm. who are less than three years old and then once they're three they're carted across town to this very large um institution uh which was built um in between eighteen thirty one and eighteen thirty three uh and which and the buildings are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the orphan schools were. Uh, the girls' school on the left-hand side of a church and the boys' school on the right-hand side of a church. Uh, the, the church supposed to um, ensure that they learn to be moral. Uh, creatures at the same time that they were learning um, their place in society, which was not a very ha- happy place. <laughs> no, no. So,
1: the, so, the, the, so they were essentially sent to an a, an orphanage, and there was an it orfa- was an orphanage, and there was yeah. an orphanage school of of sorts, was there?
0: There, there was all through, throughout the entire. Uh, period, um, the children were taught within the institution. Mm. And uh, often the inspectors of schools who would uh, come out to examine them uh, year by year, especially in the later years, uh, would say, look, you've got to teach these kids in a different way, because there would be like one schoolmaster, for 150 boys. Mm. And So what really happened was that the older boys taught the younger boys to read. Uh, But the older boys, of course, didn't were all that flash. They would all let uh, flash themselves. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And so this system of so-called monitors where a boy would stand in the middle with a book and the little boys would stand around him. Uh, and that's the way they were supposed to be learning. Well, you can imagine, you can how, imagine effective how, how effective that was.
1: That was in who, yes, exactly. Not that they, I suppose they cared that much. Authorities did they? Because once they were twelve or or thirteen or fourteen, the kids themselves, still children, of course, were sent out to work themselves, weren't they?
0: That's right. That's right. And these are the children that I've become very interested in. Um, so these were ch- these children were called apprentices.
1: Now these, and just I mean to, to make a point here. These children are not guilty of anything. I mean they're not they're not convicts. They're they're they're, you know, free children of the of the British of the British, but they're not paid, are they?
0: This is real, this is a very important point. They are unfree and unpaid. Even they though they've ha- committed no crime. They have done nothing hmm. to get themselves into the situation. Nothing at all. Um And so in many ways they're treated in the same way that the assigned uh, convicts were um, both in New South Wales and in Van Diemen's land. That is that they were sent out uh, as um, unpaid labor to places that they did not choose to do work that they did not choose for people they did not choose. Mm. And so many of them uh, in effect served a much longer system – uh, sentenced to incarceration than their mothers did uh, because the usual sentence. Uh, when, when did they ever become
1: uh, f- free or able to work for money?
0: When they were 18 years old. Really? Yeah. So that's a long time, especially that's for the like, children. As I say,
1: that's like being in servitude yes, for that whole time. It
0: is, it is, it is, it is.
1: Oh, dear idea, oh, your book. You you write about a number of different children and their experiences in but Tell us about a few that stuck with you. I mean, Agnes, for example, arrived on a convict transport aged four, and was abandoned with her mother and needed to escape an abusive husband.
0: Yes. Now, actually, Angus is one of the um, happier stories mm. because, um, as you say, uh, she came on the ship with her mother. <clears throat> her mother um, got married. To somebody, and went uh, to live down the uh far from Hobart Town, and as far as I can tell, never saw Agnes again. Um, so Agnes spent her childhood in the um, in the orphan schools, and then she was apprenticed um, to an, an eccentric man, um, a painter in um, in the Launceston area, um, and. Um, I don't know whether that's where she learned tatting, but uh, she learned this kind of embroidery uh, work, uh, which her descendants still have. And they have it because um, she did have a child uh, as soon about a year after her apprenticeship um, finished, which suggests to me that she didn't have much control over where she was going or what she was going to do because the child was illegitimate and didn't have a father. Um, But fortunately for Agnes, she um, did marry a man who uh, was quite happy to take her uh, little girl into his heart um, and to give the little girl, his surname. So they had some other children, and the family, as far as the descendants know, never realized that um, that Agnes's uh, first daughter was illegitimate. No. Um, and th- one of the um, amazing things to me um, is that, they, um, that Agnes's daughter and her family, she had a... Um, a large family, mm-hmm. um, became Salvation Army uh, officers and um, lived a very, uh, a very strict and staid life mm-hmm. in northern Tasmania.
1: I'm talking with Professor Lucy Frost from the University of Tasmania, an historian and uh, the author of Convict Orphans, the Heartbreaking Stories of the Colony's Forgotten Children. Uh, you can only imagine the safety of the circumstances in which a lot of these young girls must have been in. I mean they're thirteen years old, been placed with families, and presumably there's not much government well there's next to no government supervision of what happens to them. i mean some, uh, you know, there were some terrible cases the one about one of Eliza Jane, for example
0: um, I think that this is a really important point that uh, when the children the children were sent out to work. Hmm. Um, for people all over the state, all over the colony, um, and the guardians of the Queen's Asylum, who were supposed to be responsible for them, never followed up to find out how they were getting along. There was never any system of checking no. to see um, what what was happening. And um, I, I think that one of the saddest cases was... Um, a girl named um, Catherine Harris who was sent up to a family uh, in the West Tamar district um, at a place that was called the Silver Mines at that stage. And she worked for a f- farmer um, She was expected to look after his children, and then to look after the farm animals. There were some pigs and a couple of cows, and then at night, and she was also expected to um, work on the farm and dig potatoes. And she she just kept even on Sundays when she should have been going to church, uh, she didn't get a chance to do that. She had absolutely no social life. She was completely isolated, because the family were Scotch Presbyterians. They went off to. Uh, to chapel, and um, because she was uh, Church of England, they didn't take her with them. Mm. So she had no uh, social life at all. I mean,
1: Australians are are, are fond of saying there was no slavery in this country. There was, wasn't there?
0: Well, there was, and, and, you know, people were aware of this at the time, and they talked about white slavery when they talked about these Mm. uh, children. Uh, You get letters to the editor that talk about this. Mm. So one night... um, when it was getting so dark that she couldn 't tell the difference between um, a clod of earth and a potato when she was digging still digging in the fields, um, she went off to a um, a cottage that was nearby, belonging to one of the small farmers, um, a selector who um, whose wife said, "Well, come in and um, have a cup of tea and, and sit by the fire and uh, I know you 're cold and you 're not very well dressed." um and so um she was Catherine was very grateful obviously for this but then she had to go back um quick smart mm. to her uh, to her master before these kind people got in trouble and then she went back to them um a few weeks later because there was one Friday when she'd been washing all day and she'd been carrying out the heavy uh wet laundry and trying to put it on the um T- trying to hang it up, but every time that she tried to hang it up, the poles kept falling down. And so her mistress got very angry with her, and her master <clears throat> uh, threatened to uh, thrash her. And um, Catherine, uh, by this time, was um, about 16, and she had felt that the more frequently the uh, master um, uh, caned her, beat her, the more uh, sexual became the beatings. Hmm. Um, and so she ran away again to the same family, and then began a long process of um, of getting out of um, of that uh, situation. Mm. But it was very hard because the moment she ran away, she was an absconder, and she could be brought before mm. the magistrate.
1: Terrible. Anyway, it's a fascinating um, amount of a, a book of uh, of research. Uh, Professor
0: Lucy Frost, thank you for your time. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.